get this phone call, and it's Ryan calling from Scania, Iraq. And I'm like, what are you doing there? You were familiar with that place. I, I had been to Scania for, to refuel, you know, refuel our vehicles. It, it's a, it was a fueling point for convoys. Yeah. On, uh, Tampa, uh, MSR Tampa. And, um, so I'm like, what are you doing in Scania? You should be getting ready to head back with your troops. And basically what he did, he told me he volunteered and there was an opening on a convoy. I mean, the the new unit was there. They were doing left seat, right seat training. And an opening came up on a convoy to go to Mosul. That's where I'd been, northern Mm -hmm. Iraq, way up north. He told me he wanted to see some of what I saw when I was there in 2004. And he did. He and I never got to talk about it, but. Welcome to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org, and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. I'm Scott Schultz, visiting with Brian Jopek. Brian is not only a veteran, but he's also a Gold Star father. Brian, how are you today? I'm well. Before you got here you had quite a day just yesterday mm-hmm. talking with a group in Madison. Tell us about what that all entailed and who you were talking to and and the reason for you being there. Well, it was it was the second time I'd done it. And what it was, uh, they were doing a, a couple-of-day course for casualty assistance officers or CAOs for the uh, Army Guard. These individuals are... You know, once a family is notified that they've lost somebody, whether it's in a war or suicide, however they're, you know, however they're lost while they're still serving, these individuals help that family through that first several days or Mm -hmm. first few weeks Mm -hmm. afterward. Casualty assistance officers kind of gave a little description. Are they the ones who actually start the process and notify families? Sometimes that wasn't for me and my uh, ex-wife, Ryan's mom, but sometimes that is the case, I guess, from what I understand. Yeah. But this course, like I said, this is the second year I've done this. The uh, Survivor Outreach Services Program just felt that it would be something advantageous for these soldiers who were going to be, 
we're going to be CAOs to hear the perspective of family members mm-hmm. or survivors, whatever you want to call call us. I went in there and I just shared some of my story and then uh, some of Ryan's story and what our CEO did for my family mm-hmm. in the aftermath of Ryan's loss. Tell us your story briefly, if you could. Okay. You are an Iraq veteran. Correct. I I started out in 90 in the Kansas Guard as a truck driver with uh, a combat engineer unit down in southeast Kansas. Transferred to Wisconsin in 2002, but in 91 or 92, I transferred to public affairs. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did for like 20 of my 21 and a half years. My first out-of-the-country trip was with some combat engineers to Belize in 1994. And then, uh, you know, 10 years later, by that time, I transferred up here to Wisconsin, and it was Iraq. I got deployed to Iraq. We were boots on ground in uh, Mosul in early February 2004. My unit came home in January of 05. In the meantime, my oldest boy, Ryan, had joined the uh, Wisconsin Guard in November of 03 while I was in the process of my mobilization preparations. And then by the time I got back in January of 05, it wasn't that long after that, that 32nd Infantry Brigades uh, to the 127th Infantry got the word that they were going to head over. And uh, Ryan's unit, the 105th Cav out of Merrill at the time, they're now down in Madison, but then they were in Merrill. And another unit uh, from on Alaska got rolled up into one, got rolled up into Alpha Company, the two of the 127th. They got shipped overseas in uh, August of 05. And um, they did convoy security training there. Mm-hmm. They were based at Navistar on the Iraq-Kuwait uh, border, and they did convoy missions up into uh, Iraq. And he was a gunner in a, a gun truck, a Humvee. And, um, you know, we talked a few times during the deployment and all this, you know, he'd call me and all this stuff. But it got to the point where he was getting close to coming home, and he calls me one night in July of 2006. It was getting close for him to be, because uh, August of 06, he's supposed to come home. This was July 23rd of 2006. I get this phone call, and it's Ryan, calling from Scania, Iraq. And I'm like, what are you doing there? You were familiar with that I, I had been to Scania for, to refuel, you know, refuel our vehicles. It, it's a, it was a fueling point for convoys. Yeah on uh, Tampa, uh, MSR Tampa. And um, so I'm like, what are you doing in Scania? You should be getting ready to head back with your troops. And basically what he did, he told me he volunteered, and there was an opening on a convoy. I mean, the the new unit was there. They were doing left seat, right seat training. And an opening came up on a convoy to go to Mosul. That's where I'd been, northern Mm -hmm. Iraq. Way up north. He told me he wanted to see some of what I saw when I was there in 2004. And he did. He and I never got to talk about it. But he uh, he went to Fab Marez and so on and so forth. 
but he wanted to see some of what I saw and some of some some of what of the people some some of what some of the people in my unit saw as well. Yeah. And he said he wanted to get away from the garrison crap because it was a two week trip from Navistar up to Mosul and back. So they uh, that was on July twenty third of six. Gets up there. And they get back down to FOB, uh, forward operating base Spiker in Tikrit, or outside of Tikrit. And his convoy left Spiker, and it wasn't long after that, he got hit with an IED. His truck did, his Humvee. Mm-hmm. There were four in the vehicle. Ryan was one of four. He was up in the gunner's position. And... Uh, the other three guys survived, um, but Ryan, he didn't make it to the bird. He was gone. Um, so, and again, he was just—he was just a couple of weeks from coming home. As a matter of fact, I, I, you know, I was still in the military. I went to uh, Volkfield when the unit got back. I went up to the plane and greeted the guys as they came off the off off the plane with the governor and other uh the adjutant general and so on and so forth i was asked to do that and i did i was glad that they were able to get back all right Mm -hmm. because by then i was really aware of what it was like to not have one of your one of your kids come back. As a matter of fact, I, I, to my knowledge, I was the only person. I mean, I was still active military. To my knowledge, I'm the only I'm the only person that was active military that lost anyone in the state of Wisconsin. Yeah, in combat, mm-hmm. in that conflict, and that may still be the case. These days, I mean, I'm not in the military anymore, but I'm just not aware of too many people who served in a combat zone, as I did, and then lost one of their own kids in the same combat zone. You know, think about stuff like that from time to time. Wow. Run along with, you know, get a certain amount of guilt. You know, I was able to come back. But my oldest son, I mean, he came back, but not the way he wanted to. And not the way we would have liked to have seen him come back. So there's a lot of stuff that goes through your brain. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the guilt. Survivor's guilt is real. That's kind of amplified in your case, I'm guessing. Well, I can't mm-hmm. guess for you, but... Survivor's guilt, that's real. You'd give very real. You'd give anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, I um and I mentioned this yesterday during the when we were talking to those uh CAO, soldiers yeah. to see at the CAO training. Um, you know, the other uh couple that was there that talked to them and lost their son in Afghanistan. When they got their the money from the SGLI, the life insurance, whatever, you know. They got financial advice 
from people you know, to you know to invest it and all you know that that sort of thing. The mom said that she didn't want to get. I mean, it was her way of trying to keep her son around. You know, and everybody has different ways of dealing with that stuff. Yeah, you know, theirs was to do what they could with that money mm-hmm. to you know keep their boy around. Me, when I got my share of the life, and I didn't want it. I, I mean, that stuff was gone within like eight months. Yeah, I had a hundred sixty thousand dollars that I got. I didn't want it, so I went. Out, I wanted my son back. I bought some things that, to me, help him stay with me. Mm-hmm. You know, but for the most part, I just, <laughs> yeah. I just, I got rid of it just as fast as I could. Now, these days, maybe, you know, 17 years later, but at the time, I didn't want it. You said something that caught my ear there that everybody kind of deals with these things mm-hmm. differently. Grief is grief. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we look at that across society and we say, yeah, well, that that person handles their grief mm-hmm. out in society a little bit different than everybody but for some reason, from my observation, everybody thinks gold star parents, gold star families are on the same page when it comes to their grief. You know, from what I'm hearing from you, grief is grief, and you do deal with things differently than the next gold it's, star family might. Well, it's it's like every pretty much everything. You know, people deal with different things different ways, and that's one of the things. That's one of the things that I've learned over the past 17 years, nearly 17 years since Ryan was killed, is that people do, they just deal with it differently than than, than others. I would say there's one area that, that just about all of us who've lost a kid like that, they don't want to hear people say, Oh, he's in a better place now. I've heard that I don't know how many times. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, he's not. His place was here with us, having a family, having a nice job and all this stuff. His place was here. So I would say, even though we all deal with things in a different way, that's one area where I've run across a lot of people who yeah, I wish people wouldn't say. I mean, they mean well. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, they're not trying to be you know jerks or whatever. They're just they don't know what else to say. You know, so they say, "Well, he's in a better place now." You know that that sort of thing. And I don't, you know, I don't jump on them and say, "Well, no." Yeah, I just yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's a really um, interesting situation. Something that I wonder about, and maybe you can address this part of of that kind of thing, is the idea that he died for a good cause, for his country, for the flag. Do Gold Star families have way different views on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure people have come up to you and said, God bless the USA, he died for our freedom. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, 
I would say I'm maybe a little bit more outspoken on things like that when it comes to um, how that that particular conflict began and what happened with it and all that stuff. Ryan joined the military. I mean, I joined the guard because that's something I, you know, I, I kind of always wanted to do. At the time, I was working, in, you know, in radio, you know, so I wasn't I wasn't going to go active duty, but I, you know, I went ahead and joined the guard in '90. I felt this, I felt that uh, need to, you know, do something to, to serve. serve. And you know, later on in the '90s, I I uh, I ran for and got on a city commission down in the city of Chinook, Kansas. I was a city commissioner for seven years. Mm-hmm. I was a mayor for a year down there. People can believe that. So it's it's just, and I get that from my folks, you know. Yep. Ryan joined the military for the benefits, mm-hmm. the college benefits, and he did use some of that. He did complete a semester at what was then the UW Marathon in Wausau because hmm. he was going to be a national park ranger. He was inspired by his grandpa, my dad, mm-hmm. to because uh, my dad's one of those that's big on like Lewis and Clark and all that stuff. And uh, Ryan, that's what Ryan was going to do. So I hear that, you know, they gave their life. And I'm like, no. You didn't. The life was taken. Uh, the life was taken. The kid was scared shitless. That much I do know. Because there had been uh, a heavy equipment transporter that had been hit with an IED. The four guys got out okay. That was like the day before, I guess. I found out later. Mm-hmm. Um, but that truck was disabled by an IED. And that happened right far from Ryan's gun drive, like right in front of his gun truck. And it scared mm-hmm. him. I found this. I found this out later, mm-hmm. and he began to doubt whether or not he should have volunteered to go. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there's very definite differences between you know different families, how they feel about how their loved one served and all that. I mean, he served, I mean, Ryan served honorably. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. But I, I do know by the end he was really beginning to wonder if he should have been there. Yeah. And, of course, you get into the, the whole, the broader political specter, should we have been there in the first place? Yeah. Uh, should, I mean, you could ask yourself, should... Iraq been invaded when it was instead of keeping the heat on Afghanistan like they had been doing mm-hmm. and successfully from mm-hmm. all reports invade Iraq and then Afghanistan fades and that's what happened when you think about it and you look at the history and it's just yeah it's I mean you could you could sit and argue the political stuff all day long but that's another aspect to it. The way things turned out, what did my son die for? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like the term Operation Iraqi Freedom. That's why my hat says Iraq War Veteran. It doesn't say Operation Iraqi Freedom Veteran. 
Uh, I just, I never, I don't care for that particular term. Because who's freedom? Like I said, you can sit down and over a beer and argue right. politics and stuff with someone. But at the end of the day, I do ask myself, what did my son die for? What, what, and given the way things are today politically, and you see some of the crap that goes on, I definitely ask what my son died for. Did he die for this? Is this what my boy died for? So, yeah. There's coping that has to go on mm -hmm. that people might look at that differently if they're in your boots. Sure. And, yeah. And that's hard to see from the outside in. And it's also hard to see even politically or what have you. People see veterans, service members and veterans as all being on the same page with their ideas and politically and everything else. Mm -hmm. We're society, right? I have found that's not the case in my personal, you know, my personal, I'm not, uh, I'm not a supporter of Donald Trump. I never, mm -hmm. I never liked Donald Trump back mm -hmm. going into the eighties, but especially when during the presidential campaign, he would say stuff like, you know, John, Mc, you know, John McCain was no hero and all that stuff. And, but for him to say, I mean, he said he was a hero because he was, you know, because he was a prisoner or whatever. He said, and he says, I like people who weren't captured. <laughs> when I heard him say that, first thing I thought of was, what about all, what about Bataan? The U.S. troops at you know, the Bataan Death March. What about the uh, flyers kept in stalags during World War II? <laughs> flyers that were shot down, they were all prisoners. They were all captured. Does that mean he didn't like them either? And then at one point in the campaign, he, he says uh, he was presented a Purple Heart by, by, by a veteran. And he says, I always wanted to get the Purple Heart. Knowing that my son received a Purple Heart posthumously after he was killed in action in Iraq, to hear someone running for public office, in this case for president, say, I always wanted to get the Purple Heart. He has no clue, zero clue, about what it means or anything like that. But, you know, obviously there are other people that look at things differently. There's, I know I've known a lot of veterans that support Donald Trump. We always wonder, in any case of grief, I, I feel like I'm horrible at this. What do I say? Well, you ask a good question there, because, you know, I, I alluded when we talked about this a little bit earlier, you know, people saying he's in a better place, Austin. Great. Well, there have been occasions where I've been put in that position, you know, a friend loses a family member or whatever. And, and I, th I think about this, I'm like, I'm going through this and I I still don't know what to say to that person. So what I, a lot of times, what I'll just do is say, I'll be here if you need me. Mm -hmm. Or I'm here to listen. I think that's really what you say to somebody. If, if, if you're so inclined to, mm -hmm. I'm here for you. If you need to talk or whatever, let me know. Like I said, it's, it's not something that 
people are jerks about or whatever. They're they're just trying. They're, when they say stuff like he's in a better place or whatever, they're just trying. They don't know what else to say. I think over time, though, you just tell that person, I'm here. I'm here for you. Yeah. If, if you want to talk, I'll be here. Thanks for visiting with us, and we'll have a lot more questions down the line for you, I'm sure. I'm sure, and I'll be here. <laughs> and I'll be here for you, too, Brian. That's Brian Jopek from the Minocqua area. I'm Scott Schultz reminding you that if you're a veteran and if you find yourself in a mental crisis, please pick up that telephone immediately, dial 988 and hit prompt one. Remember, this podcast is educational. It's not stigmatizing. For the entire team at the Orban Foundation for Veterans, I'm Scott Schultz. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.